Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Locked on Heat. On today's show, I'll be joined by Frank Urbina, writer for Hoops Hype and formerly of NBAMath.com, which makes him a perfect guest for what we have planned for today's show. We're launching a new series called 15 Every 30, where we go through every player on the Heat's roster and talk about some of the things that have jumped out over the last month or so and over the course of the season. And since we're going to go through every player who has played significant minutes, we're going to break this up into two parts. Part one will cover Josh Richardson, Ryan Magruder, and among others. And then part two will post Thursday, where we'll look at Bam Adebayo, Hassan Whiteside, Dwayne Wade, and other guys to wrap things up. Let us know what you think of the show by emailing us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get to the show. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I'm here with Frank Urbina, writer for Hoops Hype, who joins me to kick off this brand new 15 Every 30 series. And Frank, we're going to go through almost every player on the Heat's roster. And what better place to start than with Josh Richardson, who's been inarguably the team's best player. What's jumped out to you about Josh Richardson's season so far? Well, I mean, pretty much everything. He's been fantastic this season. He's, he's showing, like, a scoring punch I didn't, I didn't think any of us knew he had prior to this year. I mean, we mostly thought he was just going to be a 3 and D specialist. But to me, the most interesting stat that I found on him was, this does get a little bit specific, but I thought it was fascinating. Uh, the only two players in league history to average at least 21 points over a block per game while shooting 41% from three on at least five attempts per game is Josh Richardson this year. And Kevin Durant last year. And he's obviously like a top three player in the league. So that's pretty good company there for Josh Richardson. Uh, he's proven that he's he can be a, a pure scorer, you know, averaging over 20 a game. And while also making game-changing plays on defense. Uh, the, the advanced metrics don't really love his defense, but we all know how wonky those can be. And those are kind of silly that they get swayed too much by, like, defensive rebounding and stuff. So regardless, we, we, what we've seen from him using the eye test, he's been a fantastic defender. And just like a, like a guy who's running point and who's being a primary ball handler who can also protect the paint like that is so rare. So, I mean, it's been an amazing season for Josh Richardson. And I think he's going to get even better, honestly, because he did start off pretty slowly with the efficiency. He's, he's improved in that manner. So it's been great to watch him this year. You mentioned the you mentioned the efficiency there. And, yeah, he did start slowly. He was, you know, a lot of those lines at the start of the year was like 27 points on 21 shots or something to that effect. He's gotten a lot better. But... He's not necessarily taking better shots. Like, the shots aren't coming from better areas. He's just, I think he's picking and choosing his his timing and his spots better. He's assisting a little bit more frequently. Um, but only 2%, I found this interesting, only 2% of his shots have been corner threes. This is according to Cleaning the Glass. Only 2% of his shots are corner threes. Now, obviously, that's like you were saying. He's a lead ball handler now. He's got He's creating for himself, and so... You know, you know, guys don't run to the corner and just shoot from three-point range. That's not a thing that players do. Um, usually, you're an assi- you you get those shots uh, assisted, but then only 22% of his shots are occurring at the rim. So that means a bulk of his shots are basically in the mid-range or above the break threes. And so he's actually taken the ninth most above the break threes this season in the league. So when you look at where his shots are coming from. Yeah, he's becoming a more efficient scorer because more of them are going in, but they're still pretty pretty challenging shots. So for me, the takeaway from that is if he starts getting to the rim a little bit more, and we know that he likes that lefty scoop shot, right? If he starts get maybe playing off the ball a little bit more fre- frequently, if you kind of boost Goran Dragic's usage rating up and just try to get Josh Richardson some, some uh, easier looks, then we could see not 
he's already taken one leap in efficiency this season. We could see maybe even a second leap in efficiency this season. So what I'm trying to say here is he could even get better if some of these shots just come from better spots. You know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I would love to see him get to the rim way more often because he is ex- an explosive athlete, you know. He might not be a guy that's going to throw down dunks over like every big man like once a game or something, but he can definitely finish effectively on, around the rim. And once he starts having more rim attacks, maybe like you said, maybe he starts playing off the ball a little bit more as a secondary ball hander who's just ca- like how Roddy Magruder does, how he catches the ball and just attacks off the dribble right away. I'd love to see Josh do that because I know he can be, j- number one, a good finisher around the rim. And number two, he would draw more free throws. And he's knocking mm-hmm. them down. Over the last two years, this season so far, he's at 90.6% from three. Last year, he was 84.5%. So you combine the two, it's at 85.6%. He's an elite free throw shooter, but he's only averaging 3.6 so far this year. So we need to see that number go up. If he can get it up to like to the, to the five or six range, he's gonna it's going to go from like a fun story to this guy's doing it every single night. And that's like all-star level stuff. For me, for me the next step is he needs to attack the rim more, like you said, and draw more fouls for sure. 100%, because once he starts getting to the line more, like you said, it's an every night thing that it, you're getting easy points. He's probably consistently getting over to the, the 20 to 25 point uh, points per game range. And then, yeah, I mean, that's when, you, when you're at four or five assists a game, getting to the line frequently enough and putting up those kind of points and doing what he does on the defensive end the way he does it and, uh, at an all NBA level. Well, you've got Jimmy Butler basically at a fraction of the cost. That's essentially what's going on there. You mentioned Rodney Magruder a little bit there. What's sticking out to you with Rodney Magruder's game this season? I mean, probably besides Josh Richardson, the other standout player on the team so far. Yeah, he's been really fun to watch this year, too. Um, to me, um, what's it up for him uh, stats-wise is... He's shooting 46.7% from three, which is excellent. Last year, he was over 42% on minimum attempts because he did miss most of the year. But this seems to be a trend that seems like it's going to be sustainable, like just how efficient he is as a three-point shooter. He might not have the prettiest form. You know, he kind of hunches over a little bit once he gets to the top of his release. But, I mean, it, it goes in and it doesn't look it doesn't look like Lonzo's ball shot or like Ben Simmons or something. It looks like it's something that he can repeat. It's a repeatable form. Uh, I think it's sustainable. Besides that, I also think it's interesting that he is – uh, scoring 1.36 points per possession as a spot-up shooter this, this season, according to Synergy. And among players with at least 35 spot-up chances this year, that's the seventh most productive rate in the league, which is really, really impressive. So not only is, that, is it a high volume, he's one of the most efficient guys in the league when he gets spot-up chances. And that's a better mark, actually, than guys like Jason Tatum, Carl Towns, and, uh, and a Trevor Ariza, who's another 3 and D wing, who's like, well, maybe one of the more well-known 3 and D guys in the league over because of his time with the uh, with the Rockets. So I think I'm thrilled with what, I, what I've seen from him so far. If he can keep knocking down these shots, he's not, I don't think he's going to be at 46.7% for the rest of the year. But if he can even stay at around 39, 40%, that's excellent because he contributes so much else. Uh, being a scrappy guy who like picks up rebounds and has pullbacks. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't have to describe his game to you. Anyone who watches the Heat knows <laughs> how effective he is at that kind of stuff. So as long as he can, as he can stay at 39, 40%, he's going to maintain on this course of having a, a great season. Yeah, Ryan Magruder is interesting because he's kind of one of these players, like a Trevor Ariza type, that the more great players you put around him, the better he gets, you know? And and you mentioned the spot-up uh, shooting. That's a big part of it. But he's also a great – He could he, now he's been able to put the ball on the floor. He, he's he's creating for others a sort of like this second secondary ball handler might be too much, maybe like a tertiary ball handler next to Richardson and Dragic and Dwayne Wade and those guys when he's in the game. Um, he's so, he, and he's making really great decisions with the ball, which is why he, he's in at the end of games, 
Uh, twice Bo goes to him because he knows he's not going to make mistakes more often than not. He's going to make a quick decision. He's going to make the right decision. To me, obviously, the big thing with Rodney Magruder are these assists to Dwayne, uh, uh, not Dwayne Wade, but to Hassan Whiteside, kind of taking Dwayne Wade's spot from last year as the the lob guy for Whiteside. 12 assists to Whiteside this season. That's the most on the heat. Second is Goran Dragic with six. So twice as much as the second guy. Rodney Magruder and Whiteside, that connection is for real. And, you know, going further in with, the, with these assists, I was looking at these numbers. He's basically, he's basically averaging one assist every 9.3 minutes that he's on the court. Um, that is basically twice as much as what he's been doing the last uh, few years of his career. And that's kind of in the zone with those, I call them secondary point guards, the Malcolm Brogdons, Reggie Jacksons, Alfred Payton types who technically play point guard. Kind of like a Mario Chalmers type during the big three area. Technically play point guard but are not really the lead facilitator or high-usage guy on the team. Obviously, you look at a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, Giannis is the main guy on the, running that offense, but he's able to be the secondary or tertiary ball handler on that team. And I think Rodney Magruder, when you look at where he could go in his career, pro- trying to project forward, what does what does a Miami Heat team look like with Rodney Magruder if this Miami Heat team is a t- contender in the Eastern Conference? Or what does Rodney Magruder, just as an individual, no matter where he ends up, because he'll be a free agent after this season— what does he look like on a really good team? It might be like one of those kinds of players. We'll continue with our 15 every 30 after this quick break. I'm going to leave this one up to you. What? Who do you want to go to after this? Yeah, uh, I guess we can go to Goran Dragic. I mean, the reigning all-star on the team. I guess the, the best player. Is that, that all right with you? Uh, I, I wouldn't call him the best player, but sure. Yeah, let's go with well, the, the, the reigning all-star, the reigning all-star. He was an all-star last mm-hmm. year. So to me, what was interesting is that he's having, uh, since since joining the Heat, he has his the best uh, swing rating he's had on, uh, since joining the team. So basically, you have a net rating, which tells you how many points per 100 possessions uh, your team is outscoring the opponent while you're on the floor. Swing rating adds in how your team is doing while you're off the floor. So when Drogic is off the floor, then he, he have a, according to basketball reference, they have a negative 3.4 net rating. So the swing rating for him is almost at 10, uh, it's almost 10 points per 100 possessions, which is ridiculous. And what I find interesting about it, that is that I don't think Drogic is playing close to his best basketball right now. Uh, he's, all, he's averaging 18.5 assists per game, but 35.3% uh, from three. We know he could shoot a little bit better than that. 41% from the floor. So, but regardless, I think this speaks to like the team's lack of a, a playmaker off the bench. When I mean, I guess Wade has taken over that role, but for some reason the numbers don't like the Heat when Wade has been uh, in the game. Unfortunately, I have enjoyed watching him. I think we all have. I think we all know he's contributing, but the numbers just don't like him very much. So, I, I guess maybe back uh, last year we would have maybe James Johnson when Goran Dragic would go on the uh, on the bench. He would be the one taking over the playmaking duties. So it w- there wouldn't be as drastic of a fall off. But this year. With Tyler Johnson struggling, we're just not seeing that yet. Hence, why the Heat are so much more effective when he's on the floor. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you have anything to add to that? No, I kind of had a similar. It wasn't as fancy as the stat as yours. I just had that they were plus eleven point eight in the uh, two hundred fifty six minutes Dragic is on the court. They're much better. With, that's Dragic probably has the most unique skill set on the team. I would say. I mean, he is really the only true point guard on the roster. You can play around with Tyler Johnson, but he's more of a shooting guard. Um, you could play around with Justice Winslow, but who knows really what his true position is. He's too much of a tweener to be named, to really be considered a pure point guard. So Dragic is really the only guy that does that. Dwayne Wade is a great facilitator, great passer, but he's, you know, 36 years old. He plays 24 minutes, 25 minutes a night, and he's a scorer at heart. So Dragic is really the only guy who's this pure, unselfish facilitator 
kind of in that traditional sense of the point guard. And so I get it. I understand why Miami is so much better with him on the floor. He does, nothing he does really leaps out at you, but he just has such a control of the game, control over the pace. Um, and I think that's a really important thing when, when if you're the Heat, you know, you deal with a lot of inconsistencies on in the roster as far as injuries are concerned. You know, you have James Johnson, like you mentioned, is out. Deion Waiters, also a good ball handler for them, is out. Uh, and then you just have a lot of inconsistent players in the rest of that gr- in that group. You know, there's not one all-star on the roster other than, of course, Goran Dragic. So he, br- he does bring that consistency. That's why he was an all-star last year. I am a little bit worried about the slippage um, as far as his athleticism goes with age. He's scoring just 39.5% on 12.5 drives per game right now. That's a little bit that the first of all the thirty nine and a half percent clip is much lower than what we're used to with Goran Dragic and those even the twelve and a half drives per game is is a, is a little bit of a dip from where we're used to seeing him around fourteen or fifteen drives per game in the past um, that might be a little bit to do with Miami's offense in general being a little bit more perimeter oriented them just taking more threes this season but you'd like to see Dragic at least drive to the rim and then kick out to get to those threes a little bit more often. But I just think at you know at his age, 31 years old now, I think, um, I, I'm i a little worried about that. And look, even on the defensive end, and I tried finding a stat for this. I couldn't do it. Maybe you had better luck than I would. But um, he just he's getting blown by off the dribble a lot more defensively. And he just looks a, like a half a step slower. You know, look, I'm not trying to attack him here. I'm just saying, like, this is this is kind of the expectation when guys get older. This is just what happens. Um, but we're starting to see it right now. And I'm not ready to just say, okay, let's go sell high on Goran Dragic. But it's at least something that I think you got to think about because he's sort of in a contract year right now. He, he could decide to opt out after the season and try to get a long-term deal rather than just take the $17 million next year, which I think, and I, we've predicted this on the show, I think is what's going to happen. So... We'll see, but I just think it's something to keep an eye on. Let's go to um, let's go to Kelly Olynyk because I'm interested to see what you came up with uh, for him because I had him as Miami's offensive MVP last year, I think him or Wayne Ellington, I can't remember. Maybe the listeners can remind me. But Kelly Olynyk having a down year right now. What's sticking out to you about his game? Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't find anything that reassuring about his game so far this season. Uh, like you, I was thrilled with him last season. I think people get uh, mad about like the contracts that Pat Riley doled out to a bunch of role players, giving them about $40, 50000000 million. But I think if any, anyone last year proved that they deserved it, it was Kelly Olynyk, just because he had a huge uh, plus net rating. You know, He was a great fuller spacer. He was playing great basketball last year. And, and over the summer, we saw him... We saw video clips of him playing with like other stars in, in pickup games and stuff, and he looked great. I was like, oh, we're going to see Kelly Olynyk take yet another step, and we have not seen that so far. Uh, thus far this year, he's got a negative 10.6 net rating, uh, swing rating, sorry. So, like, Drogic had the, the nearly 10 points per 100 possessions better. Olynyk's like literally almost the complete opposite, at negative 10.6. Uh, the fact that he's shooting only 28.9% from three is obviously part of the problem. But I think he's too good of a shooter for that to for that to stick. You know, I think he's definitely gonna it's gonna regress to the mean, and it's, he's it's, he's gonna improve from beyond the arc without a doubt. I mean, he's another guy that might not have the prettiest form as a three point shooter, but it goes in more often than not, and it has for his entire career. I mean, last year uh, with the Heat, he was nearly at thirty eight percent from three, which is uh, above league average for his career. He was at thirty seven point one percent if you don't count this season. So I think um, th- that plus the fact that his role has been changing a lot every night because uh, I guess Whiteside getting hurt and then 
you have James Johnson missing time and stuff. Like we, th- th- he doesn't have a sustained role right now. And maybe once mm-hmm. he is playing as a full time, let's say backup center, if he becomes a full time starting power forward, I think then we'll start seeing a bit of an improvement. Regardless, I think we I think we would both agree that we're going to see him play a little bit better. It's just it's been a rough start for him. Yeah, I had the same thing. I mean, a career average of thirty seven percent three point shooting. You mentioned the, the the percentages across the board here. They'll get back up there. I'm not that worried. I do think that, like you mentioned, moving to this kind of power forward slot has hurt um, just as far as throwing off his rhythm. He is a center. And the problem with Miami, and I'm not breaking any news here, is that they have too many guys at too many at the same position, and center is a big problem for them. Playing Linux and Whiteside, they've actually had a plus rating with them on the floor together. It's... it's it's worked, but I just don't know that you're getting the most out of Olenek. You're, you're getting the most out of Whiteside. I don't know that you're getting the most out of Olenek when you're playing with the four. I'd be interested, um, and I want to know your thoughts on this. You look at what Toronto is doing, playing Serge Ibaka at center against certain, in, on certain nights, and then other nights starting Jonas Valanciunas, just depending on the matchup there. I almost wonder if Miami would be better off doing that. Now, of course, you have to deal with the entire benching Whiteside on certain nights issue, and, you know, whatever. Like, we could deal with that. But I do wonder, once you get James Johnson back, do you start to move towards that? Because you've got to find minutes for James Johnson somewhere, number one. I still think he's best as a starter just because of the little things that he's able to do as far as screen setting uh, and, and being an outlet as a ball handler, just sort of a release valve there. I think, you know, maybe you start to move Olenek back at center or at least start playing him more minutes at center, even if he starts at the four. I don't know, but I do feel like they need to figure out a way to kind of shove Olenek back into, into, the, into the five slot a little bit more over the course of the season. What do you think? No, I completely agree. And you mentioned the Raptors. I absolutely love what they've done so far this year. With uh, they, they decided Pascal Siakam was one of their underrated bench guys last year who was like a game changer when he did play. So they were like, you know what? Let's just start this guy. And then the issue last year for them was obviously they had Ibaka and Valanciunas. So now they have Ibaka playing center on some nights. And he's mm-hmm. he's been fantastic. I think we would see the same effect happen on the Heat. It's just getting... I mean, I hate to say this, we have to get Hassan Whiteside to buy in, which is which would be tough, you know. I mean, we've seen how he handles getting benched, and he already started sort of. He didn't like complain fully so far uh, to this point this year, but he did already say, "Oh, I trust the coach, but I would like to be playing in the fourth quarter and stuff." So it is kind of a concern how Whiteside will handle it, but I think it would be perfect. I mean, on mo- like on nights where where, where the Heat aren't playing Andre Drummond, like last night, we saw he destroyed Olenek on the glass. Last night was a night for Hassan Whiteside, but on other nights when mm. it's a, when it's a floor spacing five, I think Olenek would be perfect. I mean, he's a prototypical modern stretch five, and that's what we need to be playing him at, or what the Heat, sorry, need to be playing him at. Uh, a full time. So I would love to see that. I just, I have a hard time believing it just with how Whiteside reacts to Kenny Benz, you know? Yeah. And you know, the idea would just, you know, he doesn't start the game. I wonder if, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's in that kind of matchup, you probably, he's probably still not finishing the game either, right? If it's a game where you're starting on Linux, you're probably ending the game with Olenek based on that matchup. Um, and that's the problem with Whiteside. It's like, dude, just buy in. Can you just do that for the rest of the team? Dwayne Wade's coming off the bench, for God's sakes. He's the greatest player in, in, in Miami Heat history. Second greatest guard in NBA history. I keep saying that. It's, <laughs> a, half, it's a half joke. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's finish up um, with Tyler... Not finish up, but we'll we'll finish this part one with Tyler Johnson, I think, is a, is a good way to wrap up part one here. Yeah, uh, like Olenek, uh, I think it's going to be these guys back-to-back because he's another guy that started off extremely slowly. 
Uh, I think maybe in the beginning he was. I think he would admit he was pressing a little bit just because it's the first year where he's making, I believe, over eighteen million dollars, nearly nineteen million dollars a season. So I assume he felt some pressure to perform uh, at, at peak form to start the season, and that just didn't happen. He was taking bad shots just at awkward times, like. He kind of reminded me of Mario Chalmers when Chalmers was in good form and a good rhythm. He would know when to attack the basket or when to pull up for a floater or when to shoot a three. And when he was out of rhythm, he'd be pulling up for like insane mid-range jumpers with like 18 seconds left on the shot clock. And I think we start the year out of Tyler Johnson. Like he was just taking awkward out of rhythm shots. But um, on the positive side, over the last three games, he is uh, five out of 10 for his last uh, 10 three-point attempts. And Mm -hmm. also over the last five games, uh, plus minus wise, he's at a plus 24. And that's a huge change over um, the first four games where he was a minus 12 plus minus. So the numbers overall are still pretty ugly. But to be fair, the sample size is a little bit, it's still kind of small. But it's good to see they're at least trending in the positive direction. Yeah, I think, you know, the the three-point shooting is, if you can get him in better situations, he's a catch-and-shoot kind of guy. I remember last year they were running a lot of the same sets that they ran for Wayne Ellington. Uh, A lot of those kind of floppy type of uh, uh, sets that they ran for Ellington. For Tyler Johnson, um, that's down this year. He's going. He's at 3.8 catch and shoot attempts per game now, which was down to almost five last year. So basically, one a little bit more than uh, one fewer attempt per game. Let's start to ramp that up a little bit more. Get Tyler Johnson better situations because the other thing you could do if you run him off those screens, let him crawl around Olinick or Bam or whomever it may be. He can not only take the three, but he can come off that screen and go towards the rim, like you were saying. He's he's. Uh, an underrated athlete when he's kind of driving towards the paint and you know he can dunk and he can finish at a high rate and, uh, and I'll, space. like you said coming off screens he was fantastic last year i don't have the numbers in front of me but i remember efficiency wise he was one of the better uh coming off screens like rolling around maybe olenic or Whiteside, and even when he would have pulled up for three it was they were going in so those are good looks for him i think miami just has to get him into better situations like you said so he can really start making a the impact we know he can he's never going to live up to the 19 million dollars that he's making this year but it's not his fault the heat signed him to that contract so uh it's, it's just a matter of coach bolstra putting them in in, in better spots you know That'll do it for part one of our 15 Every 30 show. Hope you enjoyed it. Part two with Frank will be up tomorrow. As always, you can reach us by sending an email to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or on Twitter by using the hashtag AskLOHeat. And of course, make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. And leave us a rating or review while you're there. Music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time.